Would you please bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day, a day in which we can wake up and start a new year. And not only start a new year, but learn more about you and grow our understanding of you, Lord. I pray that as we spend time together this morning, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. So, uh, welcome to a new year. There's a totally new you, right? Totally different from yesterday. Not the same person at all. It's a new year. Uh, it's a new passage. And for some of you, I might be a new person. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Jonah Brenner. Uh, I grew up in this church and got witnessed to by a lovely family that showed to me the mercy of the gospel uh, and grew me up in that. And I'm really happy to be able to say um, it took root and uh, it changes you, man. It was about two years ago that I departed and uh, began education at seminary in California. Uh, and that's where I am presently, pursuing studies at a little school called Westminster where you know, the characters are rowdy and the theology is strong. It's 90 proof at least. Um, as I've been thinking about this day, though, uh, as I've been thinking about a new year, I can't help but think about what is it about a new year that causes us all to approach it with some dose of either cynicism or hope. There's something about us that as we round the corner to a new year, a new chunk of time, we look at it and we say, that'll make me different. That's, that's, that's going to change something, right? Or we hope that in time, given time, we're not going to be the same person, right? Eventually, hopefully, as I reflect back on, on my time departing from here two years ago to being here today, I can say a lot has changed. Um, and yet there's something that hasn't. And that seems to be the truth of what God has made known to us um, by the will of, of his spirit, making clear to us that he's a God who has a plan. There's kind of a theme of change and plans as we round the corner into a new year. Perhaps you look at January 1st and you say to yourself, now's when I'm finally going to make all this stuff happen. Now's when, by the volition and the strength of my desire, things are going to be different. I'll be better, I swear. I'm totally going to be different. It's not like I just had the last week. We tell ourselves that things obviously have to change, right? Right? I think there's something puzzling about a new year, uh, and yet, as, as I think about it, um, I'd like to ask you guys, how do you approach a new year? What's your disposition towards the turning over of a month or the turning over of a calendar? What do you think of when you think new year? Is it new hope? Is it be better? Is it try harder? Is it why would I bother? What is it? I think there's something about it that, as I've thought about it, there's a desire to change. I think, and I don't know about you all, but as I've contemplated, I don't want to be the same person I was. I want to have a hope that someday I'm going to be different, that I'm going to be better. Like, I would be sad if 20-something Jonah was the same as 50-something Jonah in terms of wisdom and insight and kindness. I don't want to be the same person, and I don't think you all do either. And yet I'd ask, um, what do you think about a new year? I think there's something that Paul touches on here in this passage. Um, Ephesians is a great letter. 
and it sets forth some just global truths of the Christian life, the Christian faith. There's kind of some foundational building blocks of just what it means to believe and have faith in Christ. And Paul opens us up with that here. He opens us up, he greets us, as is typical, and he kicks us off with this, this praiseworthy song and gives a bunch of reasons for why you should praise God. Chief of them, the triune God of the universe who's made everything, has a plan to redeem you before the foundation of the world. It's been in place. And it goes to the end of time. And he's made that plan known to us in Christ. So that's what he's doing. That's what he's talking about here. He's letting forth this great general idea of God's a God with a plan. And I think it's a great plan. There's a lot of ways that we could look at it this morning, um, but I kind of want to inspect it in three different areas. The time of the plan, the intent of the plan, and the revealing of the plan. Time. Why time? Well, I don't think you just get to write before the foundation of the world and let it slip past unnoticed. There's something about this that suggests God's been at this for a while. He's been thinking about this for a while. Before he said, let there be, light, animals, dirt. He decided that he was going to purchase for himself a people. That he was going to do something about it. That he was going to reconcile unto him a people. And Paul points us to that. We have it in four and five. Before all time, God has decided that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And he doesn't just expect us to do that on your own in a little bit of a be better. His plan is to help you do that. His plan is to grow you to that, to work in you something where you're not just some creature on a rock hurtling through space and time. No, you're a kid of God, a kid who's adopted, who has the same rights as any son, which... I'd remind you, in this culture, it's not necessarily a pejorative thing to the opposite gender. It just means that sons in this day and age, there was a special honor bestowed upon them, especially when you consider like being a firstborn kid. You were called into the business in a way. To be adopted as a son meant you have a portion of what God has in store, and there's an inheritance that is coming to you something that is being worked out, that is happening, something that already belongs to the Father, and yet is being offered to you. And I don't think what's being offered is just a good old case of uh, do it a little bit better. I think there's something more. God's predestined us to adoption through Christ to himself. And he's been planning on doing that before he made anything. But it's not just he liked the idea of it before, and then he decided, we'll see how this goes. This is something he's promised to do through time. If you look at verse 10, he works through, 9 and 10, he works through and talks about how things are going to be in the fulfillment of time, in the fulfillment of seasons. The plan to purchase, to grow, to reconcile a people... It's not just a nifty idea that God had at the beginning, and Paul wants us to know that. It's something he's intent 
with seeing through to the end. It's a plan that he's had for a long time that he intends to keep till the end of time. And as I think about my plans in a new year or not, uh, I'm not as good at <laughs> seeing them through. I don't know about you. I'm just not. And yet for all of that's worth, before time and after time, um, I don't know if you notice we're not before time and we're not after time. We're kind of stuck in history when things happen. Uh, we're stuck with a calendar where nations rise and fall, where things change. New Year or not, it doesn't matter what a calendar says. There's a lot of change that goes around us, and I don't think we always like it. And so if God has a plan before time and after time, it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing if it's not made known to us in time. That's one of the radical things about what Paul's talking about. Is he says that in God's plan to purchase a people, to redeem a people, to save a people, it's something he doesn't hide. It's something he makes known in history. It's something that he gives us evidence to. There's, there's something just so wise about the way that God chooses to make himself known that it's not just maybe they'll find out, but there will be a time where he chooses to step in and make himself known. And uh, in light of the Christmas season that we just came out of, I hope that's not too far from our minds, where God has chosen to make himself known and make some of his plan known. He chose to come down and speak to us in ways that you and I get. And I think that's amazing. There's something profound that God is doing in his plan in working it out in time that doesn't always make sense to us. There's a form of wisdom and knowledge that is shown by what God is doing. Um, there's a quote in The Resonance that I found really helpful in, in looking at this, especially when we look to the middle of today's passage um, where it talks about how according to the riches of his grace that he caused to abound in us in all wisdom and insight. There's a, there's a form of God's plan and what he's doing in time that is wise. And as we look through history to see what wise men say to maybe find meaning for our lives in a new year or not, there's a reminder that, uh, as Michael Horton says, the highest wisdom and knowledge they aren't found in a grasping or a seizing or ascending, mastering vision of, of pure ideas. The highest wisdom and knowledge are found in a receiving, welcoming, seated, and descending recital of God's work in history. Part of the miracle of God's plan is that he doesn't just hide it from us, but he makes it known to us in history and gives us some good evidence for it. It's why you and I are even gathered here today reading about it. It's what Paul's writing to everyone about, to look and say, not only has God made himself known, he's made his plan known. And he's got some pretty good motivation in that plan and some pretty good intent. What he's up to, when <laughs> what he's up to in this plan is something that's been there in God's character since before time. It's what he wants to do, and it's who he is. All throughout this passage, there's, there's goodwill, there's favor, there's desire, there's plan, there's intent. 
And while the plan works out in time, I think it's also to pay attention to the goal of the plan, because you can have a timely plan, but if you don't know what you're trying to do with it, then what's the point? <laughs> That's some of a resolution, right, is to decide in time, I want this to happen. I want this to be the goal. I want to have this done. And uh, I really like what God's intent is in his plan. There's a plan of divine intent. And in verse 10, when it talks about administration or a plan for the fullness of time, it, that word means a plan of divine intent, a private plan. And yet, it's something that God makes known. It's a plan of salvation. There's arrangements here in this plan for redemption. What's the point of God's plan in time worked out in history? I'm pretty thankful Paul doesn't hide it, hide it from us. He doesn't sweep it under a rug. He says, in the glory of his grace, he bestowed upon us in the beloved redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Part of the inheritance of that being a kid of God is being purchased from being a slave. The word redemption means to redeem or acquit, to pay some ransom for freedom, to purchase a slave away from something and unto life. It's a word that doesn't show up all too often, and when it does, you, you kind of want to pay attention to it just a little bit. It talks about a state of being redeemed, of no longer being a slave or stuck to something, but of having a freedom that goes before, to be redeemed by payment. And yet, what's the payment? What's the strange payment of God's plan that he makes known to us? It's blood. God's plan to purchase a people is a costly plan, and one that doesn't just happen without a little bit of effort. And the effort cost him a lot. Augustine of, of Hippo talks about the payment by blood and says, it's not from the time that we're reconciled unto him by the blood of his son that he began to love us. But he did so before the foundation of the world. That's someone from ah, fourth century. This is kind of a long historic truth that we're hanging on to, a long historic truth that we're hoping on, that Jesus and what he came to do wasn't just someone who said stuff, but that what he did matters, and it matters for your life and for my life today, and that in what he did, there is a forgiveness of sins. And Paul makes that known to us boldly, and it's one of the richest things that God has on offer for us. It's one of the richest things of his plan. His plan isn't just, yeah, I'm going to make myself known to you and we're going to see how it works out. His plan is to say, you're mine. You're mine, and I'm going to show you you're mine by dying for you. There's a payment by blood that purchases us from slavery, from death. And yet, what is that purchase to, right? You're no longer a slave, but what are we called to do? We're freed from what to what, because there's always something to do. 
We're free to be holy and blameless. I like the sound of that. I've never been one for uh, bad guys in literature and stories. I've always liked good guys. I've always wanted to be a, a good guy. I don't like being a villain. It's not fun. There's not much attractive about it. And so to hear that my life in Christ is not just about, you're not horrible anymore. Great, I like that. But that on offer is something that we're called to be holy, that we get to be good, that we're called to live blamelessly. I like the sound of that. I like the idea of a life where in fear and trembling of who God is, I get to be made more like him. I'm called to live holy and blameless, and you are too. And yet as we know the pain of trying to be better in our own life, by our own desire, by hitting a new year and saying, I'll save a little bit more, I'll weigh a little bit less, I'll be a little bit kinder, or maybe none of that. Maybe it's just a, I don't care, it's a new year. I've got it all figured out. Well, I don't know. I'm not the quite refined person that I'd want to be. And yet God, by his will, crafts you to be someone holy and blameless in his sight. Blameless before him in love. It's a love and an intent that purchases us, that saves us, that redeems us. In verse 4, when it says, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Before him, it means before his face, as he looks upon him, before the face of him. We're called to be holy and blameless. That's what Paul's proclaiming. That's what he's telling me to pay attention to. That's why he says, blessed is God, who gives us all these heavenly blessings. Holy and blameless sounds like a pretty good life to me. And yet as I think about it, I think about the fact that this isn't just a hidden thing. This plan that God has had for a while and is working out in time is something that's not hidden under a rock. It's not like you and I have to go fighting out in the woods to go look for what God is doing. He makes it known to us, and that's some of the radical nature of this. There's a revealing of God's plan revealing of the mystery. And I want to be careful because when it says making known to us the mystery of his will, I think sometimes we hear the word mystery and we say, okay, so that could never be known, right? It's always a mystery. And yet that's not what the word means. The word used here, it's the content of something that's not known before, but that's revealed to a group. It's a secret made known. You get to look into the mystery. You get to know what the plan is. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure means that in God's good favor upon you and I, he chooses not to hide, but to make known to us his character. And not just his character, but his plan. his plan to redeem, his plan to save. I really love that. I really love the idea of, of God making himself known because there's a part of me that just really wants to know, that has a hard time not knowing. Uh, and yet I think about 
all the things that I shouldn't know or that I might want to know. And Deuteronomy 29, 29 comes to mind. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. When it's made known, it's yours and mine. It's something we get to take. It's something we get to cling to. It's something we get to hold on to. So what's revealed? That God's angry with you and wants you to try harder? No. What's revealed is that in Christ, you and I have peace with God. What's revealed, what you and I get to cling to, what our kids get to cling to forever, is a hope that in God there's a life worth living. In God there's a rest available to us. In God there's peace. It's not a perpetual try harder. It's a rest in what he's done. The secret things belong to the Lord, but those that are revealed belong to us. And God has revealed himself to us. Where? In Christ. Spurgeon has a way of putting this that I just, there's no way I could say it. There's no way I could mimic it. So I'm just going to say what he says. Ask not to see God in fire, in the burning bush, nor in the lightning upon Mount Sinai. Be satisfied to see him in the man Christ Jesus. For there, God is manifested. Not all the glory of the sky and of the sea, nor the wonders of creation and providence can set forth the deity as, done the, as does the Son of Mary, who from the manger went to the cross, and from the cross to the tomb, and from the tomb to his eternal throne at his Father's right hand in glory. Where Christ sits with heavenly blessings and he gives them to you and I, Christ is made known. He's made known a hope. We get to look at him in history. We get to look and say, people walked with him. People met him. People knew him. People talked about him. And it spread throughout the world like wildfire. People wrote about him in an age and a time where writing was more than slightly expensive. It's not our modern day where a robot you know, can spit out a piece of paper for you. This was a costly time, and yet everyone decides this is worth writing about. This is worth making known because God has made himself known. That's what Paul's writing about. That's what he's talking about. That's what's worth proclaiming. That in Christ, you have life. You have hope. And I think that thing in us that wants change that thing in us that says, I don't want to be the same person, that thing in us that rounds a calendar, rounds an accomplishment, does something else and says, what's the next thing? The desire to be different? It's completed in Christ. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He fulfills something in you that can't be taken from you, and it won't, because he's God and you're not. And if God gives it to you, I don't know how you're ever going to get rid of it. Good luck. Well, maybe not luck. 
God's faithful and just to finish the work that he begins in us. He will bring us to completion. It's an idea that Paul talks about elsewhere. Philippians 1.6, right? I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What's on offer in Christ isn't something that lasts for a hot second. It's a plan that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been enacting since before the foundation of the world and to the end of all time. A plan that God has made known to you and I, that you and I cannot just look to, but cling to, to hang our hopes on. That we can look to and know that there is peace made with God. Where do we know it? In Christ, when he's born in a manger. In Christ, when he dies on a cross. All of history is bookended by God doing something, and smack dab in the middle is Christ on a cross, where he says, what's my will? It's this, that I should die, not you. That I should be raised up, not you. And that's what he does. That's the blood. That's what makes the payment. That's what ransoms. It's a God who came down as a man to be nailed to a tree. So as we round a new year, as we look to everything that goes before us, as we think what's in store, in season, out of season, early in life, late in life, there's a hope that we hang our hat on. And I think it's a good one. January 1st brings a lot of anxieties about maybe the change that I didn't make that I thought I would in the past year. And maybe looking forward to the hope of what I'll do in the next one. And part of it bothers me because I think we pretty quickly move past the glory made known to us on December 25th. I'd remind you, don't let the glory of God making himself known as he's born in a manger. Don't let the glory of God's incarnation be limited to December 25th. That's something that motivates life moving forward, a hope that you and I cling to. Why 12 days of Christmas? Why a celebration? Well, because there's kind of a historic acknowledgement in the church that Jesus coming down means so much that we can't just talk about it one day. It's something that we take with us in life. It's something that gives us a new life and a new hope. And in that new life and new hope, you and I are sealed unto it. It's promised to us. That's what Paul continues in 11 to 14. As we're chosen according to the purpose of the one who works all things according to his counsel and his will. That those who hoped in Christ and who, for the praise of his glory, you whom trust in the word of truth for the gospel of your salvation, you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He's the down payment of your inheritance until the redemption, until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. God's plan that he makes known is a plan so grand that when you and I really hear it, we can't help but praise God. So, as we enter a new year, as we think about Everything that we can think about, anxious or not, 
Consider the plan that God has for you and not just the one that you could have for yourself. A plan that you can't really screw up because it goes from before time until the end of it. Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your mercy, for your will, for your favor that you bestow upon us. You, just, you don't just set it upon us, you, you lavish it and you pour it out all over us in Christ. You make yourself known to us. You're a God who makes yourself known. And not just you, but your will. The will that we would be sanctified. Would you seal us unto that by the power of your spirit? And as we enter a new year, give us an understanding of the peace that goes before us that you've made available to us, Lord. In your name I pray, amen.